Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. David Siegel is the CEO of Meetup, the world's largest platform for finding and building local communities. David has over 20 years of experience as a technology and digital media executive, leading organizations through innovative product development, rapid revenue growth, and digital traffic acceleration. Prior to joining Meetup, David was CEO of Investopedia, which provides investment dictionaries, advice, reviews, ratings, and comparisons of financial products, such as securities accounts. Before Investopedia, David was the president of Seeking Alpha, a crowdsourced content service for financial markets. David holds a BA in philosophy, politics, and economics, and an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania. He is an adjunct professor at Columbia University, where he teaches strategic planning and entrepreneurship. He hosts the podcast, Keep Connected, which is dedicated to the power of community. David's new book, Decide and Conquer, lays out the framework for decision-making that leaders can use to ensure organizational and personal success. David, welcome to the One Away Show. I am so excited to be here. I am a one and I am away from you, so I think it makes sense. (laughs) You're one away from me. Uh, We've shared some one away moments already in our brief relationship. So um, couldn't be more excited to dive in today. Um, And by the way, congrats on your book, uh, Decide and Conquer, which we'll we'll talk about. Um, But let's let's go in. what is the one-away moment that you want to share with us today? Sure. So my biggest moment is the time period when I came to realize that I had more power and more of an opportunity than I had realized. I had thought, here's the backstory, when WeWork announced that they were selling Meetup, And Adam Newman and crew had told me that after being there for six to nine months, we would be now separated from this kind of chaotic environment of WeWork. My first thought was, yes, WeWork was kind of a really problematic and challenging organization to be a part of. The culture was so different than the meetup culture. I was actually very happy, but then I got scared. And I said, who are they going to sell us to? And of course, I was scared for myself. What's going to happen for my job? But then I started thinking... I'm the CEO, whoever they sell it to, hopefully it'll work out. And I just have to try to do my best to hopefully do a good job. And whoever we work sells us to is fine. I'm just kind of going to go along for the ride. I was going to be a passenger in like my career and life experience. I got this call, got a call from the president of WeWork, a guy named Artie Minson. And he said, Hey, David, you know, you don't have to be a passenger. Think like an entrepreneur. Don't think like a professional CEO. Hmm. You can find the person who's going to acquire Meetup. Don't just go with whomever you know we happen to find with you. Who do you know that could potentially be the acquirer of Meetup? And it just got my entire brain completely locked on a different opportunity and way of thinking. And I said, I don't have to just go along with whomever we work finds, but rather I can chart my own path 
and find the company and the person who could actually be the absolute best acquirer for Meetup, who's aligned most with Meetup's mission. And I'm happy to share more details about that, but it was that moment that just like changed everything for me. The big story, you know, that transition uh, inside from, um, let's just say, a passenger to a driver, as you eloquently uh, shared. It's interesting, you know, uh, you, like realizing your power or reclaiming the power. My, my question to you is maybe before we go into maybe tactics and how you did it and how it all unfolded is what do you think prevented you from not realizing that you, you were in that position in the first place to, to step into that role that you, you had? Yeah, I think what, what my challenge was, what held me back was actually my past. So I've always been a corporate guy a corporate person. I, I kind of rose through the ranks. I was hired, you know, out of business school. I worked for a consulting firm. I worked for a big tech company called DoubleClick. I worked for one of the best e-commerce companies out there called 1-800-Flowers. I was president of a, of a leading financial investing company called Seeking Alpha, and then I became CEO of Investopedia. So I was like, a corporate person in the tech world. I was not this big M&A person, this big transaction person, this big mover and shaker. I was a person who ran companies. That's what I did. So the idea of being the transaction person of, of, of not just running the company, but figuring out who was going to buy the company was just kind of out of my past experience. That was one. The second was I was actually worried about a potential conflict of interest in this particular instance of WeWork is the one who's paying me my salary. My job is to do and support and run this company called Meetup that WeWork had asked me to run and to run it as successfully as possible. What if I found someone that was potentially a different buyer than WeWork was looking for? And how would I go about taking meetings that WeWork was setting up for me when I was also bringing other buyers to the table? And wouldn't that potentially create a conflict of interest? Because then I would want my buyers to succeed and I wouldn't necessarily want WeWork's buyers to succeed. And that could be also problematic. And I thought actually I could potentially even get in trouble. But once I was given the permission by someone, and then also another WeWork executive said to me, hey, David, stop thinking like a CEO and start thinking like an entrepreneur. And, and actually an opportunity presented itself very quickly. That's when I just started running with it. So I think what kept me back was a little bit of fear and anxiety and, and a lot of just feeling it was out of my wheelhouse. I don't know how to do you know, big transactions like that. So I just felt like, let, leave it up to the experts to do it. Right, totally. And yeah, you're, you're stuck in kind of the corporate mindset um, and how do you break out of that and just dive into something totally new? So let it, let's let's uh, unpack that a little bit. So you realize, hey, I can go, I can make a difference. I can bring in people to the table to, to be a helper here and make this happen. What were your next steps? What did you do? And how did you start wearing that entrepreneurial cap? Okay, so I'm a big believer in having like a personal board of directors, meaning you have a group of people who you can go to thick and thin that don't have any personal incentives except for to try to help you. So I have four or five people that are my mentors that I go to. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? I was given the opportunity to actually facilitate the acquisition of Meetup by another party. And I told someone that. I told actually a, a five to seven people that. And someone said, you know what? There's a guy I know 
that knows you and that loves Meetup, why don't I just make an introduction? So just by talking about it with a number of people to get advice, not just one or two, but a good like five to seven different people, it opened up opportunities and kind of created this scenario where I got lucky, shall we say, but it wasn't lucky. It was a result of me talking to all these different people. And someone made this introduction to me and we started going down a path and I actually submitted a bid to acquire Meetup um, in partnership with this other party. We submitted a bid of like $1 million because the company was losing so much money and it was kind of a ridiculous bid and we were summarily rejected by WeWork. And that was the result of the bid. But it whet my appetite for what we could actually then do. And then I went on a just all out reach out to 50 to 100 companies, private equity firms, um, venture capital firms and relationships. I just let volume be the driver, not discerning whether it was the right fit or the wrong fit or what they happened to have done in the past. And in a short period of time, in a two week time period, I spoke to 50 to 100 potential acquirers and brought numerous potential acquirers to the table. And that just, I started to realize, hey, a lot of the experience that I have in running companies, marketing, sales, relationship building, analytical skills are applicable towards getting, you know, towards this thing that I have never done before, which is selling a company. And um, I really learned a lot in that process. It was great. Totally. Now, you said you put in a bid and while it was rejected, you said wet, wet your appetite to, for what was possible. What did you see that you couldn't see without taking that process on yourself that made you really motivated to start your Blitzkrieg outreach uh, to find some buyers. Yeah, I realized it's not that complicated. It, it was finding some person or organization that simply believed in Meetup's mission, believed in our company, and believed in me as a leader, and then submitting an LOI for a certain amount of dollars. And although the bid was rejected because the amount that we submitted was just embarrassingly low, and it was just kind of a lowball offer, I realized we can find someone who can be a great owner for Meetup's mission because I believe so deeply in Meetup's mission. And at the same time, what was happening was WeWork was introducing me to all these other potential companies who want to acquire Meetup. And their approach was, let's slash and burn. Let's get rid of as many employees as possible. Let's milk this company for as much profit as we can. And we don't really care about the company's mission. We just like the fact that it has 30 to $40 million of revenue. And let's you know, drop down as much profit as we can. I was like, whoa, I don't want to be part of that. So a big motivation for me also was seeing the companies that were being brought to the table by WeWork, by our parent company, made me say, oh, I can't be a part of these types of companies. I'm not aligned with what they want to do with Meetup. They don't believe in our mission. They just kind of want to milk and destroy the company potentially. And I was like, we can find people that deeply believe in what Meetup does in terms of curing the loneliness epidemic. I'm going to go out and find that right owner and be a partner to that person. Well, that's, I mean, that's bold and brave and also like very aligned with following your values and, and, and not accepting, you know, an ownership group that would, you know, make you uninspired to do your job well and do it well every day. So when you did those 
50, 100 conversations that you're talking about, when you look at them, do, do any stand out? Do any, do any of the individuals that you spoke with, you know, left, you know, when you look back on that period, were there a couple conversations here or there that just completely changed the course or the direction? A hundred percent. Okay. So we met with five different venture capital firms and they were really interested but then one after another, each of them said, the restrictions of our venture capital firm are such that we could only invest in companies that are X, Y, Z, this size, or this amount of profitability, or, or what, what have you. And one by one, each of them said, I know there's a big opportunity here. I like it, but it doesn't fit into the strategy of our fund. And that was painful because... I knew that there was an opportunity for a, a significant kind of investment and acquisition. I knew we were aligned from a mission standpoint, but unfortunately I hadn't done enough due diligence beforehand. I just kind of went on this blitzkrieg to meet with lots of people and in hopes of good things happening. At the end, WeWork was about to give the bid to someone and I went to WeWork and I said, hey, can I have your sloppy seconds? Literally. I said, are there any people that have reached out to you that you just didn't want to partner with? You didn't think they were serious. And you could give me like names of those people that you haven't followed up with that maybe I should follow up with because maybe there's something there. They ended up passing on a name of someone. And I'm not going to say his name publicly, but in the book, I refer to him as Chad. And they passed me on Chad. Chad and I spoke and I had one day 24 hours to be able to put a bid together with Chad. Chad worked his magic, was able to kind of put together a bid for a meaningful amount of dollars. I hadn't met him, barely spoke to him, but the timing, what was, we had no time left to submit a bid. And I ended up going with this person, Chad, just to stay in the game because I was kind of liking the opportunity. And I knew that if we didn't submit a bid by the close date, then it would be out of my hands. So even though it wasn't necessarily the ideal partner, I thought it was more important to have an opportunity to still be part of the process and have our bid be submitted than to have than to be outside and, and eliminated from the process. So we submitted a bid together. He didn't even have the dollars lined up, but we still submitted a bid without the dollars, by the way. And um, ultimately that bid also didn't win. Um, but at least we were still kind of in the game. We were like in fifth place. And there were four other bids that were higher than our bid. And um, it was an interesting experience kind of going through the process with the, kind of the higher bids and, and determining whether or not it was the right fit for Meetup or not. Interesting. It's like you had a personal stake and, you know, uh, someone that you wanted to like make it happen with. So, I mean, would love to hear, you know, about these four. I mean, this is such an interesting, right? It's such a uh, precise point in time that we're speaking about. The, how, so you you had your list, Chad, kind of dwindled it down. You're, you're very involved in the process now, uh, trying to take agency and make the company better long-term. You know, you're clearly very passionate about what you're doing. How, how do you navigate these four other bids with your bid? Like, what, I would love to know kind of how this all unfolded. Yeah, so there was a top bidder, and his name was Lenny. And uh, that's not his real name. He was the top bidder of, of for Meetup, and WeWork decided that they were going to exclusivity with this person, Lenny. 
And we went to a full day of due diligence. And I had had a dinner with Lenny and uh, a couple of other people. And some red flags went off. And, and he, he was kind of asking very kind of odd questions that didn't make all that much sense. Um, and kind of... Demonstrated that he really wanted to take me up in a very different direction than kind of where we were at the moment right now. Just change our business model, a whole lot of different changes. We did a day of due diligence, and during that day, he had the ability to like frustrate, embarrass, and really piss off every other executive that was in the meetup room and denigrate each of us. We had to pull him out of the room at one point in the time. And I went to WeWork and I said, this meeting is over. Our team is all going to quit. If the person who you are currently in due diligence and signed a contract with, not signed a contract with, signed an LOI with, a letter of intent with to acquire a meetup, ends up acquiring the company, I, I can't even work here. It's going to be that ugly. It's going to be a serious problem. And um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, there was so much um, uh, tension in that relationship that they they pulled out of the uh, of the bid, and then I was like, okay, now I'm fourth on the list, and and we just kind of went down, down, and down until at a certain point, the pandemic hit. It was now March of 2020, and all the investors had pulled out. No one wanted to acquire a company that was losing at the time $20 million. And all of our events were going down 80, 90%. And people just said, this company's not going to exist anymore. Who wants to pay anything for this? Wow. And then I went to the former CEO of DoubleClick, a person who had been my mentor and advisor throughout this entire process. And I said to him, the price is an incredible opportunity. I know you haven't done any due diligence. WeWork is ready to sell. Would you like to acquire a meetup? And he said, this is probably one of the most I've ever invested personally and the least due diligence I've ever done, but I've known you for 20 years. Let's do it. And he ended up acquiring meetup. We made a decision in two days during the pandemic. And it's been a wonderful two years plus kind of since that we've been working together. And it's all a result of that pivotal moment that we mentioned up front when I was told, David, you can be the driver. You don't just have to be a passenger to your destiny. And it's, you know, been, been quite successful since. Uh, wow. Super special. And it's amazing how relationships, given the, the bread and butter of meetup, uh, you being the CEO, tapped into an old relationship that made it all come together. I mean, I mean, maybe spiritual, maybe chalk it up to whatever it is, but it's pretty ironic how it all unfolded. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, there were even crazier moments. Like at one point, Bill Ackman, the famous Bill Ackman, um, shoots me over an email saying, because we had met at one point, saying, David, just wanted to let you know, I just had a handshake agreement that I just acquired Meetup from, from WeWork. And I'm like, what? Bill Ackman just acquired Meetup from WeWork. And I can see the headlines that said, like, from Adam Newman's clutches to Bill Ackman's, you know, whatever. And that was, like, another one of the potential buyers during that period of time. 
And it was um, just a lot of roller coaster, a very, very emotional time, lots of ups and downs. But I think what guided me through the process was just the belief that our mission is all about kind of curing the loneliness epidemic that exists in the world and 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 realizing that that there's something greater here that Meetup is able to do in helping to connect people. And I really did not want it to die after close to 20 years of connecting millions and millions of people to each other. Yeah, yeah, so powerful. Uh, I mean, the platform is incredible. I mean, I've been to a number of Meetup events myself. What, I mean, for you, right, before we maybe talk about what's happened since the, uh, you know, the buy and kind of how things have you know, grown and, and become better, what, what attracted you, David? I mean, you've had a pretty illustrious corporate career. Why Meetup? Like, what decided, what, what do you believe and see in the mission and vision and uh, to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to step into a CEO role of a company that, you know, on paper isn't maybe doing the best right now? So I think there's two parts to it. One was... I have from an early age, so I started my career in human resources. I was a human resources manager, which isn't that common going from HR manager to like a CEO of a company. Though in both cases, you're looking to recruit talent, motivate people, manage people, build mission alignment, align people and strategy. So I've always been obsessed with kind of like the impact of connections and the power of people. And I've just, and, and, and the intersection of people and business. And I've, Loved going to meetup events. I loved meeting people. I loved making connections between people. I wasn't a meetup organizer at the time. I am right now. Um, but when when uh, someone on the board of, of WeWork knocked on my door, proverbially, and said, hey, David, would you like to be the first outside CEO in meetup 16-year history? I just said, wow. This is a company I can get behind. And the reason why I felt so strongly about it is because the company I was previously the CEO of, which is Investopedia, we did well. We had divested the business. We sold the business. And as CEO, I was able to do pretty well. So my priority was not financial. My priority was really doing something that was mission-based and that was really aligned with kind of what my personal priorities are. And that was definitively meet up um, in terms of community building. I I came from, and I'm still part of, a very, very strong kind of community in my neighborhood, community in my synagogue. And I've community has always been like a big, big part of my life. And I know so many people that like can't meet people, go to bars to meet people, are, are lonely. 46% of people regularly feel lonely. 62% of people who are Gen Zers, 62% regularly feel lonely. And that was before the pandemic. New York City just came out with um, some, some data in the city. 20% uh, of people regularly feel depressed. I mean, it's just terrifying. And Meetup is like the antidote for that. So I want to spend my time in ways that help the world. And, and that's what really attracted me for Meetup. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great answer. I mean, not that you're trying to add that in your back pocket, but I mean, it's genuine, right? And you're, you're looking at the future. You're looking at humanity and saying, how can I, if this organization exists and I help it flourish, well, what does that mean for human connection, right? Is it kind of what I'm hearing you say? So I think this is a good segue into, you know, since you took over, you know, how has, you know, the company evolved? What have you seen? What are some of the changes that you've been able to cultivate from the inside out that, you know, and now that the pandemic's over, I think this is a whole, oh, not over, over, but there's a whole nother segue. But what, what have you done in your immediate kind of tenure and, what are you excited about for the future? 
Yeah, so the first thing I needed to do when I joined Meetup was change the culture of the company. Scott Heiferman, our founder, who's exceptional at building mission and building product, um, built a great mission and a great product, but the financials were, uh, un, un, I've never seen financials like it in my life, frankly. The company uh, was losing close to $20 million a year, um, which is an ex extraordinary amount. The number of employees had ballooned to over 250 employees from, because WeWork just wanted to hire people. WeWork was all about, like one of WeWork's KPIs for Meetup was how many people can you hire as quickly as possible? That was the KPI. Like what kind of a key performance indicator is maximize the number of people that you're able to hire? People were working on pet projects all over the place. People were talking to each other. It was silo, silo type work. So the number one thing that I had to prioritize was this company is not gonna be sustainable if it's losing this much money and not growing at any kind of, there's no growth rate that was happening either. So uh, unfortunately we had to lower costs and we had to stop a whole bunch of different projects that just were distractions and didn't make any sense whatsoever. And you know, the way I did that was I didn't come in and say, this is what we should do, because that's not the way you lead. And I didn't know anything. Instead what I did is I created these work streams around key questions that the company had to face. Like, what should we stop doing was a key question. What does our brand actually stand for was a key question. A bunch of key questions. And it organized these groups of 15 to 20 people who volunteered to, to come up with the decisions, come up with the answers. And then when they said, we should stop doing this, 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 this. And then two weeks later, I said, okay, I'm gonna take your advice. We're gonna stop doing this, 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 and this. I'm not coming up with these. I'm creating a forum and a process for the people who really know their stuff to come up with these changes of what we should stop doing. So my biggest thing that I focused on at the beginning was getting this company to be a profitable, not highly profitable, but just a cash flow positive business so that we wouldn't be bleeding cash left and right. That was probably one, and we've accomplished that. And it's, I mean, pretty remarkably, we went from an $18 million loss to a $3 million profit um, in the year of the pandemic. In 2019, yeah, we lost $18 million. 2020, we made $3 million. So that's a positive. And that then could be used to accelerate for future growth for the company. The other thing that we changed is kind of the mindset. There was many people there that just, you know, were there for the mission, but they're only there for the mission. Then they were like, you know, if revenue was something that really helped us to grow. They're like, we don't want to be like the big bad business people. Revenue, that's not a good thing necessarily. We want to just focus on helping people. And, and that's great and it's important, but people didn't understand that if you don't have revenue, then you, don't, you, you can't be a successful business. So we kind of had to turn Meetup from a nonprofit mentality to like an actual sustainable company, sustainable business. And, um, you know, and that's one thing we did. The second, you know, significant change that we did is during the pandemic, we all got together once the pandemic hit and people said, well, we are an IRL business. We could only do IRL. We're not, we use technology to get people off of technology. We are the anti um, VR, anti zoom. We're all about in-person. And at that time, 100%, close to 100% of events were all in person. But I said, no, no, we are not. Our mission is not IRL. Our mission is about connecting. So we got everyone together. We enabled 
um, Zoom and integrated with Zoom and integrated with all these other video conferencing type platforms. And since the pandemic, we've had now over 6 million online events, over 20 million people have participated in online events. And all these people that were isolated and lonely can now be part of those online events. And today we're back to 75% in person and 25% online. And we're, and we're seeing like significant growth right now because as you said, the pandemic is starting to wane and people are getting back outside and they're getting to do things. And hopefully the roaring 20s are gonna happen again 100 years after the roaring 20s happened you know, in the 1920s. Wow. Holy moly. Uh, one, uh, take a moment, let's, let's uh, congratulate the kind of the work and, and a serious time, uh, but to come in completely reshape a culture 20 million in loss to 3 million in profit and, you know, now being in a position for probably some boom uh, the next few years. Can I just ask more specifically, if you don't mind, I mean, yeah, anything. And that everyone, was, everyone that was in person or relying on speaking or events was, was lost money. You created a profit center. I just, I mean, I know it was a collective effort of probably I'm sure some hundreds of people, but what, what, what did what did that look like tangibly? How did you go about that? Yeah. So the number one thing that we did is we spent a tremendous amount of time helping each of our organizers to transition their groups and their events from in-person to online. A lot of organizers were fearful of online. So if you're like, you know, some of them that were older were kind of scared of what is Zoom and that's complicated and I don't know how to do this thing. But what we did is we created a lot of best practice content. So for example, we have a blog called Community Matters and went out to millions of people to give people best practices on how to transition from in-person to online. We um, have a, uh, uh, all these, we created a, 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 a twice a week series called Meetup Live, where we brought like the head of Zoom training in. We brought the heads of all these different organizations and best practice areas in. We equipped our organizers with training on how to make Zoom engaging using breakout rooms or um, going for a run for a running group by themselves and then everyone come back and had a beer, you know, while they're while they're back on Zoom so they could kind of bond from that perspective. Um, how to use other apps like Icebreaker, you know, to build relationships one-on-one -on -one with people. So what we did is we really leaned into our mission, but created a tremendous amount of best, we create best practices content and then templates for all these different types of groups of how they could go about having really great online experiences. Now, it's not the same as in person, but there was so much of a need when people are isolated for online and we got like, no exaggeration, thousands, thousands and thousands of emails and letters from people saying, I'm isolated, I'm by myself, I don't have siblings, I'm, you know, I'm a young person in my 20s just working, and Meetup, like, saved me. I would go to the ecstatic dance Meetup and a, and a, and a um, book club Meetup and all these other Meetups. And we'd also be really interesting, we look at the data, and there are certain types of Meetup groups that would do really, really well, like, for example, hiking because it was outdoors, did exceptionally well. So we reached out and, and encouraged many, many more people to create hiking groups. Volleyball did really well, because again, more social distanced, outdoors usually. Badminton went up like a ton of groups, whereas basketball actually went down. So we look at the data 
and we'd see which types of groups were doing really well. And we'd go into our group of 57 million members and encourage people to create groups in those very specific areas based on understanding the data of what was kind of, you know, generally growing. So for example, the number one search term in 2021 was finding adult friends on Meetup. Number two was hiking. So any groups that help to facilitate friendships, any groups on hiking, we would just kind of reach out to people and say, hey, create this group. There's no group in your area in Kansas City around, around hiking. Do that. Or there's a hiking group, but there's not a gay hiking group. Or there's a gay hiking group, but not, not a black, black women's hiking group or, or whatever the, you know, the, the area may be. Data-driven, but also like really precise and thoughtful. I mean, you make it sound so simple. You know, I know it's not as simple as it sounds, but it's just like, yeah, this is how we did it. I mean, you know, but clearly though, right? Like more power to you. And like, I think the fact that you, you've been a part of such a turnaround, right? And, and for a company that millions and millions of people have loved, used, and been inspired by, um, I mean, what a rewarding part. I mean, and, and let me ask you, you know, since the acquisition, since playing a major role in that, and then turning the company around, what's been the most like re- intrinsically rewarding part for you in this role that you took on in a very mission-driven capacity? Hands down, it's letters or emails that I get from people that just move me and motivate me and give me an opportunity to share those experiences with other kind of meetup members and organizers. I'll give you an example. Just literally a few days ago, I got this email. It said, David, I'm very grateful for meetup. My mom is in the hospital and is probably going to die. Because of all the great friends I've met through running my groups, I'm not alone. And I have people here to come over and support me while this is going on. Thanks, and he listed his name. I get this out of the blue, and it happens all the time. And I'm just like, oh my God. Think about how much we're able to support and help this person. This person then put a post in the in a Facebook channel for face for meetup organizers. And then I saw another person said, put a, add it to that post. Here's how meetup has helped me. And then another person put a post. Here's how meetup has helped me. There's like six or seven people posting. This all just happened literally just this week. And it happens all the time. So when you hear these kinds of stories and you realize that we could be a platform that has this kind of impact on people and you meet organizers who tell you, like I met an organizer who was a homeless vet in Australia and he was living out of his car and he wasn't educated, and he, he started going to meetup events. He started meeting people, started connecting with people, found his first job through meetup, found his wife through meetup, now has, has one of the biggest meetup groups in Sydney, Australia, and it's all happened because of our platform. And like, it's very easy to feel very, very lucky to be a part of it and want to work your best to try to, um, you know, like as I said, cure the loneliness epidemic, which is just terrifying. Depression, suicide, God forbid, et cetera. Oh my God. I mean, that's what a, what an email. I mean, it makes you feel good about everything. And when you, when you get an email like that, just curious as a CEO, is that something you deploy internally to, for your whole company to see how, how did you, how did you respond inter- to the person or did you, and then how, how did you, did you show that with your company? As well? Yeah, we may not, you, this is a video right here, but this is a post that I put on Slack. I, I crossed out the person's name because I didn't think it should be public, even though he ended up publicizing on Facebook later on. And then I posted this on Slack and said, 
God, I feel so lucky to be a part of this company. And of course I responded back to him and I said, oh, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but I'm so glad that in any way, shape or form, your community around you uh, and Meetup could just help you during this very difficult time. And, um, and now we have an ongoing relationship and there's, there's dozens of organizers whom I have that kind of a relationship with. And you know, there's, there's just so many examples of people who were sitting around playing video games for like 10 hours a day and then decided to just go to their first event, even though they were introvert, even though they were scared, even though they had anxiety about being around people. And they went to that first event and went to a second event and a third event, a fifth event, a 10th event. And this person, Omar uh, in Dallas, who runs the Dallas group for uh, rock climbing, that was then asked to become the organizer of this particular group. He's had now a thousand events since then and six marriages have come to it. He's been to six weddings of people that enjoy rock climbing together. And he's a different person. He's a confident person. He's a totally different person than he was playing video games all day. And uh, you know, it's, um, it's very motivating. And the answer is yes, I do share it with our company. I think one of the roles of a CEO is to share the stories and share the motivations. And, um, and, and I try to share it publicly as well to the extent that people allow. One of the things that we do at Meetup is we have an every other week all hands meeting. Some companies have all hands meeting like once a quarter. We have one every other week. So 26 weeks a year we have one. And every other all hands meeting, we have a different organizer come to our all hands meeting and we say to the organizer, how has Meetup impacted your life? Why have you chosen to be, you know, to, to use the Meetup platform? And the stories that you hear and the motivation that it comes from it, you know, it makes you excited to wake up in the morning. So inspiring. And just to be at the front of a turnaround as well. I'm at a point where I don't always get so excited or admire and admiration of people because I, I just, you know, it's just, I don't know, life, you know, you meet people who are great, but like this story in particular, like really stands out to me. So, uh, you know, you wrote a book. Um, and I did? You, you, you did. <laughs> We're going to get to it a little bit, although I know you talk a little bit about it. Um, Either way, it's all good. What prompted, Tell I mean, I know the title, but tell us uh, the title. What prompted you to write it and what's the author journey been like? Sure. So the book is called Decide and Conquer. And the book is all about helping people to make smarter business and life decisions. The journey for me was... I also teach at Columbia um, strat strategy and entrepreneurship. So I've been a professor for the last seven years and, and I, I love teaching others. It gives me so much gratification to help young people build their careers and understand how to become more successful entrepreneurs and, and think uh, from a strategic analytical type way. So I'd always had a book in the back of my mind. And I've always been obsessed with kind of the psychology behind decision-making. I remember as a young person seeing a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. And the quote was, the best decisions, uh, the best decisions are good decisions. The second best decisions are bad decisions. And the worst decisions are no decisions. And I was like, yes, it's so true. Because how many people do you know, Brian, that are just inertia? and they're afraid of making decisions and they're stuck and they're in bad situations, but they're afraid of, but that's a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. So I was obsessed with decision-making. And then what happened is because the WeWork experience was such a crazy, insane experience with Adam Newman and Bill Ackman and all these other like kind of relatively famous people and or infamous people, I said, wow, 
I've got to figure out a way to apply the storytelling that I had to this decision framework that I've always been mentally building in my head. And I kid you not, in two months, I literally exhumed and birthed out a 75,000 word kind of book in literally two months. And it was filled with grammar mistakes. And, and originally the title was a different title. It was called Luck is Hard Work because I was talking about um, how you could create luck, um, which is a, a big part of the book as well and how decisions could drive luck. So I, I just reached out, and then I reached out to a bunch of friends, like I've talked about earlier. I've, thank God, a good network of friends to reach out to. And Brian, now you're part of that network, so I'm excited. Um, yeah, woohoo! And, um, and and a friend a friend of mine wrote a book, and he said, oh, I'll introduce you to my publisher. So normally you have to write like one chapter, you write a table of contents, you, you know, submit it to find a, a you submit it to 10 different book agents, they take a cut, and then they find a, find a publisher. And I was like, huh. and I thought to myself, what do I know about writing a book? I just write a book. <laughs> so I just wrote the thing, submitted this manuscript into HarperCollins, one, only one publisher, no agents, no nothing. And they were like, this is good. I mean, this is like, there's a lot of grammar mistakes in here, but this is good. So they were like, okay, sign the contract, let's do it. And the book came out last week and it's, uh, it's really exciting. I just looked five minutes ago on Amazon. It was like number five on the um, under motivation leadership uh, new releases, and you know that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome. I mean the fact that you put seventy thousand words together in two months and that you just submit it. I mean very non traditional. I mean that's your uh, that's your entrepreneurial spirit coming through right there. So um, you know, I David, I. I I'm excited for you. I, I've read a few pages, as you know, um, but I'm, I'm excited to read it. I mean, it seems like it's a lot of thoughtful, tactical pieces, but also some great stories and life lessons. And so um, it's always special when you can see a, a leader, right? Really give thought to what they've learned, but also do it in a way that's so helpful for, for the business community and also um, uh, the professionals and people all over the world, right? Not just business leaders. So um, thank you for taking the time to write it. Uh, question for you, you know, what, what are you hoping for out of it? Whether that's a internal intrinsic level, you know, impact on meetup, you know, what, what's, what's the, uh, I mean, what great timing too, out of the pandemic, you know, what, what are you hoping for out of this experience? Yeah. Lucky in terms of getting out of the pandemic, hopefully and also lucky because we crashed is an Apple show that's coming out next week. And there's a whole lot about WeWork in the book as well. Um, and uh, so I think the word that you said is the right word, and I'll just parse it out for you, which is a word I care so much about. We, we live, you know, I've lived for 47 years. I hopefully I have 53 plus more years ahead of me. And I think about the impact that I wanna have in my life all the time. And the answer is impact, and the impact in two parts. One is impact to meet up because it's impossible to kind of read this book and not feel that you want to start going to a meetup events. It's like, it's a great thing for a meetup as a brand and as a business, because we go into examples of people whose lives have been changed through meetup and decisions that are made around meetup. So I think it's positive for the company overall. And then on a personal level, it's about helping to impact leaders, impact aspiring leaders, impact entrepreneurs. But I'll tell you, it's crazy. I thought I was writing this book to impact entrepreneurs. I got a text a couple of days ago from an 83-year-old grandmother, I kid you not, who said, 
I didn't think I would normally read a business book, but my daughter had recommended it to me, so I bought it, and it's changed my life. I decided I want to now start a company at 83 years old. I want to be the CEO of me. And I'm like, whoa, you don't know who you're going to impact when you have a book. That's the beauty of it. It's so easy for anyone to get the audiobook. And the audiobook is, by the way, amazing. The guy does a great job. He's like very energetic, kind of like me um, in, in the book. And you don't know who you're going to impact. And that's just like an exciting thing, seeing like random Amazon reviews of people I have no idea who they are, kind of talking about how it's actually helping them. Normally, the people you can help are the people and have an impact on the people directly in front of you. But to be able to have that across these different areas, a, I'm an Orthodox Jew, and a priest reached out to me and said, I read the book, and the book is actually, I'm going to be incorporating it in my sermon for the week on making decisions. I was like, that's awesome. So that's the answer. It's impact on meetup and hopefully positive impact on others. And if I end up getting, there's no financial benefit because you write books, you don't make any money. In fact, I will lose money likely from this book because of all the editing that I had to have people do to kind of clean it up. Um, and so, but, but I think the, the, the benefit is, is just, um, you know, helping people to deal with crises in their lives and in their, and their businesses and have a framework for how to kind of make smarter decisions, especially during crisis. Can't wait. I'm super excited to get my hands fully through it uh, and, uh, and, and kind of have that impact for myself. So thank you for writing it. Uh, David, where can people find the book, find you, uh, be in touch? You know, what, what, where are the places? Okay. So first of all, to find Meetup, I would say download our app because I want to talk about Meetup always before I talk about myself. Our app is a great experience. iOS, Android, obviously you can use the web and you go to Meetup for there and just go to one event and you'll see you will want to go, keep going to, to hopefully more. Um, in terms of me, uh, Amazon has the Kindle, it has the Audible, it has the hardcover. Anyone can usually get Amazon. But if they want to see more detail, they can go to the book's website, which is decideandconquerbook.com. You could find me on Twitter, at David Mayer Siegel. My email even, because reach out to me, is david at meetup.com. You could link, send me a LinkedIn invite, and I will accept. Um, and I just you know, want to be connected to as many people that kind of care about community and care about connections uh, you know, as I do. Oh, thank you. Uh, such a gift, such a joy, and uh, looking forward to kind of watching you soar. Thank Amy you. Bell. That's my last name. That's why my name is Seagull. Seagull soar, right? Seagull soar. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.